City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. You are listening to the Buzzer Beaters podcast on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. The All Hornets Podcast is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. On today's episode, we will be diving into the recent news that Miles Bridges has had has had three criminal counts dropped in the state of North Carolina along with the Hornets' three-game win streak heading into the All-Star break. Without further ado, I'm your host for today's episode, Atticus Ferguson. And I'm your co-host, Eric Barnes. Eric, last episode we had last week, you and I were in a very giddy, optimistic, uh, you know, upbeat mood, as we like to be in. In our wildest dreams, could you imagine, imagine that we would be riding the high that we're riding today going into this episode? Look, as optimist as we are, like we're always looking at things optimistic. And I think that's kind of the view we took at the end of last week to sit here and say that I was going to predict 3-0 and from a bunch of guys that weren't really getting playing time beforehand. No, absolutely not. To answer your question, I did not expect the Hornets to pull off three in a row. The first one, it was Memphis, a struggling team. You know, OK, nice win. And then maybe the Pacers who have had a good season so far. And then you beat the Hawks. And it really just seems like this team's gelling right now. It is, and we're going to get into this more, but it is just shocking how well this team can play um, when you just do a do a flip on the roster like this. I mean, for guys who haven't played together, I know you know the three OKC guys have played together in OKC. I know Dallas, you know, Dallas, you had Seth and Grant had played together there, but this group as a collective has not played together. These rotations have not played together. For them to move, have the ball movement and the defense that they have already, you would think they've been playing together for five years. The fact that you know, this is, you know, in theory, this is as bad as it should be. It should mm-hmm. only get better and better and better from here. It is absolutely shocking. Uh, I don't think that we could have predicted this in our wildest dreams as optimistic and as sunshine and rainbows as we like to be. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, this this has been, you know, uh, quite the uh, quite the refreshing break from the the brutal season that's been so far. Yeah, well, and I think it also just goes to show when it comes to the NBA, like, you know, every draft time comes and everyone starts talking about athleticism and, you know, defense and all these different things. And they're all important, don't get me wrong. But I think at the end of the day in the NBA, the most important skills are the ability to space the floor, to shoot threes, and to play make. And that's what the Hornets did at the deadline. They added a ton of three-point shooting and they added a ton of playmaking and we notice it. It seems like all the Hornets fans are noticing it. Uh, it's a night and day difference, you know. I mean, just the quality of basketball you're watching. And because of that, the last three games, we've heard let's go Hornets chance at the games. I mean, when was the last time we heard one let's go Hornets chance? So, you know, don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and get too optimistic, but it is exciting where the Hornets are at right now and where it seems like they're going in the future. Absolutely. Well, let's – Let's start with our first topic. Let's get into the Miles Bridges situation. Um, a little bit more of a sensitive, serious subject that we'll kind of dive into before we circle back uh, on the Hornets' three-game win streak and how they've looked since the deadline later in the second portion of the episode here. 
so if you missed it, I'm going to read the tweet that Adrian Wojnarowski had. I can't remember if he was the first to report it or not, but this was the report he had, the first tweet that he put out. It was, the state of North Carolina has dropped three criminal counts, including a domestic violence protection order violation, misdemeanor child abuse, and injury to personal property against the Charlotte Hornets Miles Bridges for, quote, lack of sufficient evidence, end quote. According to a document filed today in Mecklenburg County, uh, court obtained by ESPN, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so for those of you also who may be confused, Miles Bridges had been in the headlines in the past for two different scenarios. There was... Uh, an incident that happened in late June of 2022. That is not what this is referencing. This is referencing an alleged incident that happened more recently uh, where Miles Bridges was accused of throwing billiards balls at the car of his uh, the, the mother to his children uh, while the children were inside. Uh, so that was the incident that this was involving. Uh, so those charges dropped. Miles um, Bridges obviously still here post-deadline. Um there was a good article that I will get into here in a little bit after I open up to you, Eric, that uh, our uh, Skyler, I can't, why am I not remembering Skyler's last name right Callahan, now? Skyler Callahan. Skyler Callahan. Thank you. I know, I literally know his name, but I just blanked on it there. There's a good one. I'm going to have with them uh, exclusively on allhornets.com. Definitely check that out after this, if you have not already, uh, but we'll read some quotes off that here in a minute. But Eric, what were kind of some of your just general takeaways when you saw the news about Miles Bridges, you know, how do you think this kind of impacts his future with the club? Uh, just kind of give me your thoughts here to open it up. So for me, it was as expected. And the reason being is when this came out, if it, if there was really a big problem with this situation, I don't think the Hornets really just welcome Miles Bridges back after those 10 games and kind of operate his business as usual if they expected there to be a problem. So really it was almost, you know, something, and this probably isn't the best word to use, but it was kind of inevitable and it was like housekeeping, a kind of thing. Like sooner or later, this is going to happen. Otherwise, this guy wouldn't be on the floor. So um, at this point, it seems like, you know, assuming nothing else occurs, right, which, you know, can be a slippery slope sometimes, it seems like this is behind Miles and behind the Hornets at this point. Yeah. Um, I was kind of expecting something like this to happen. Not necessarily because the Hornets were just letting him play. Uh, obviously, it's they probably had some intel that you know made them feel comfortable with the situation uh, to the point where they weren't expecting his legal situation to worsen. You know, just through kind of social media presence and you know just digging and kind of keeping an eye on things, just through the various things I was seeing on social media. I, I really don't want to get too into it, but just from what I was seeing with. You know, the mother of his children and him and just some various things. It's it seems like you know, you could put the you know pieces of the puzzle together to indicate that maybe, you know, their their personal situation had gotten better. Um obviously it was kind of speculation there, but you know, it, it seemed like they were at a better place and that maybe she wouldn't pursue this situation. And again, I don't know that that's necessarily what happened, but again, through, for, for various reasons, through what I was seeing between the two of them on social media, I was starting to wonder, you know, if this legal matter would kind of go away, which it has. Um, now, I mean, this is something that's going to follow Miles Bridges for the rest of his career. Uh, both of the incidents he's been involved with, like you don't, you know, as, as time moves on, it'll be less pre- prevalent and less relevant, assuming he stays out of trouble. 
but you know you don't ever completely get away from allegations like this uh you know when your name's attached to conduct like this a lot of fans will never be able to look at him the same some people will never be able to cheer for him again some people um you know will never be able to wear a miles bridges jersey again you know things all sorts of various levels of uh skepticism towards miles bridges moving forward and you know, people have the right to feel that way. And if, if that's how they feel, I, I respect it. I completely understand it. I, you know, certain people have different ethical and moral codes. And, you know, if they feel like the things Miles Bridges has allegedly been involved with break that, then, you know, I, I can't argue with that. Right. But as right. it as it relates to on the court, as far as Miles Bridges and his future here, I think you and I have both been um, – advocates for the fact that we think he's going to be here long term uh to, to quote uh something miles bridges said in that one-on-one uh with skylar callahan he said i'm just happy to be here and hopefully i can spend my whole career here we've had some talks uh speaking about his discussions with the current owners we've had some talks and they've been good talks i expect that i'll be here but like i said before it's a business so we'll see how it goes Eric, based on the context we've gotten, just kind of from what Bridges and his camp have said, and then that direct quote from Miles Bridges, I mean, are you expecting Miles to be here long term, or do you think this is kind of lip service? Yeah, I expect him to be here uh, for a few different reasons. A, like we've talked about in past episodes, he's really just too good at the sport to for the Charlotte Hornets to let him walk for nothing. So for starters, I think he's coming back for that reason. Um, another thing, it's one of those things where – Really, he is one of the leaders of your team. So, like, outside of this horrible situation that's happened, and it is horrible, like, from my perspective, from a fan's perspective, really, Miles has really always put it all on the line for the Charlotte Hornets. Um, And now, does that mean that every single game he's playing great and that, you know, fans never had an issue with his play? That's not true. But anytime he's played bad, he's going to social media. He's taking accountability. He said – He's played bad, and then he's turned right around and has been awesome for a stretch of games, and that's kind of where we're at right now. So um, I don't know. I just think it's one of those things that it's it's behind us, and we move forward. If his um, the mother of his children, it seems like she's forgiven him, um, why shouldn't I forgive him and at least give him a second chance? I do believe in second chances. People make mistakes. Some mistakes are bigger than others. Um, but right now it seems he's all focused on basketball. Uh, he's included in that group as far as changing the culture. And I think the Hornets and Miles Bridges are just in a space where, you know, they're looking to move forward and uh, leave all these bad things in the past. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely rooting for him to make the most of a second chance here. Um, some would say it's like second, third chance after he had a couple off the court instances. But, you know, I, I'm rooting for him to make the most of this, you know, become a better man off the court first and foremost. Uh, and then continued to be the, the very good player that he is for the Charlotte Hornets, the, the NBA team that we root for on the floor. Um, but I, I'm with you. I do expect him to be here long-term. Um, I, I don't see it as lip service. I don't see it as some ploy or chess move from him and Rich Paul to express their interest. I definitely think he'll resign. Worst case scenario, it would be a sign-in trade immediately in the offseason or maybe similar to what happened with P.J. where they move him at the deadline next year or, you know, in a deadline in the future. Ultimately, I don't see that happening, though. Um, I I do think that the the franchise does view him as a cornerstone for the future moving forward. Again, I say this time and time and again, but it's always worth repeating. His friendship with LaMelo Ball and their relationship, you know, their their chemistry on the court, but mostly – 
their friendship on the court, you know, hanging out, laughing, getting along in facility, you know, enjoying people you work, enjoying the people who you work with is important. And, um, you know, I just, I don't ever think that that can be stated enough. So uh, I don't expect him to go anywhere. I do think his interest is genuine in saying the only way, again, the only way I see him leaving is if, you know, a team like Detroit gets desperate and offers him way more money than he's worth. Even then I almost wonder if he just, you know, gets the most he could take from Charlotte and then just takes less. Right. Well, I think we've already seen from these owners, these owners have a financial background, um, you know, with the stock markets and different things like that. So I think we already saw them operate with that kind of mind at the deadline. They traded for players that they thought were maybe undervalued and traded away players that may have been a little overvalued considering what the return was with the picks and the good players. Um, And with that in mind, I just don't see any way where these same guys are like, yeah, Miles Bridges, you know, the number's too big. We're not going to re-sign you. Go elsewhere. Um, They're going to say, look, even if we get him – at a number that we don't really love, they can't let him walk for free. And at worst, the way they're looking at it is we'll sign him. Hopefully it works out for the best and the Hornets continue to ascend. But worst comes to worst, we'll sign him, maybe keep him around for a while and then trade him in the future, much like they did with PJ Washington. Now that's kind of like, uh, I guess a, uh, a cynic way to view it as like, Oh, well he's an asset, whatever. Uh, but I do think there's definitely a path to Miles being a part of this team long term and maybe potentially finishing out his career with the Hornets uh, like he's been quoted recently. So we'll see how it plays out. But I, I definitely think, you know, I, I would make big bets that he's back with the Hornets on opening night next season. Yeah, I agree. And and another thing Skyler referenced in his write up there on Miles Bridges, uh, enjoying a career high uh, with season highs and points per game. Uh, 21.6 rebounds, 7.2 steals, 1.1 and minutes, 37.1. So, you know, the guy took a year off. You mentioned in that article, he was in the gym every day, you know, while he was away from the team last year as well. Um, so, you know, the guy takes a year off and for the most part, it doesn't look like, look like he's lost a step. There were some points where he kind of had lulls this season. And I think you saw some rust. One thing I have noticed, you know, one con on the court, it, it does seem like he lacks a little bit of that balance and explosiveness he had. Two years ago, uh, I know he had that highlight dunk in the Pacers game, but I haven't seen him go, you know, body to body against someone and try to tear the rim down. Uh, right. So, I mean, it, it does look like he's lost a little bit of that. Um, so I, I'll be curious to see, you know, maybe does he need uh, a full off season in like an NBA facility again to truly get his body right and, uh, and regain that, or is that just gone? But Ultimately, he, he's still really contributing. He's obviously still a lob threat. He can still score at the rim. And a lot of times when he's driving to the rim and, you know, maybe in the past he would have gone up and, and tried for the poster dunk, you know, he's laying it up and getting creative with the layup package. So I don't, you know, have any like advanced stats in front of me, but it doesn't seem like his efficiency at the rim is necessarily going down. But, you know, we're not we're, – we're getting robbed of a couple highlights here and there. Uh, <laughs> well, so it's kind of like the Scoot Henderson thing. Like as talented as Scoot Henderson was, like – I, I don't really love this word, but I guess his aura, like he was kind of bigger because, you know, these highlight dunks. So I do agree with you. Miles doesn't seem quite as explosive as he was before, but there's still plenty of explosion there. And we saw it just the other night when it was just one of the meanest posters we've seen all season. Um, I mean, if, for example, look at Luka Doncic. Like he's not this crazy athlete, but he just knows how to be crafty, get to his spots. And Miles Bridges is still producing. So even with the maybe losing a half a step, 
you know, on that vertical and some of, some of these highlights. I mean, he's still producing just as well as he was before, right. if not a little bit better. Yeah, I'd say when it comes to, like, the explosiveness of the dunks, he's still got the fastball, but, like, he's not going to be hitting 99 in the eighth inning. Like, maybe right. he's got the fastball and he comes in like a relief pitching type. Yeah, like, he used to have, like, the nastiest knuckleball in the league, right? Now he's kind of lost some of that. Maybe he, he's working on that change up a little at this point. Yeah, yeah. He can he can still give it to you. Maybe it's not in the volume that there used to be. Um, but, yeah, just a couple more things I want to touch on with Miles. Uh, I do think also, you know, the way he plays with so much effort, it seems like he tries to be a little bit of a vocal leader and kind of a fiery rod mm-hmm. rod guy on the sidelines as well. Grant Williams mentioned something about, you know, how him and Miles need to step up and, and kind of be uh, the more veteran leaders on the team. It sounds counterproductive to say, based on everything that Miles has been involved with, with the headlines off the court, it sounds weird to throw around words like culture and Miles Bridges and use it in a positive way. But it, it does feel like Miles Bridges could be part of that culture change in the sense of, you know, continuing to be competitive, playing with effort, buying in on both sides of the floor, which I've noticed he's been playing much better and been much more bought in on the defensive side of the floor as well. Um, so, I mean, there's really just that that point of not coming in and playing in third gear and playing with that effort. You know, Miles really embodies that and has been doing a good job of it since the deadline specifically. So, you know, I think he's also someone who, you know, you can keep around and kind of be one of those uh, cornerstones, not only for the way you play, but for the culture in which surrounds the organization with. Yeah, I mean, with Bridges, from the day he got in Charlotte, he kind of showed a lot of uh, leadership qualities, you know, as, you know, after his rookie season, he continued to kind of grow into that. And then obviously the situations he's had off the court kind of left a big stain on being like, oh, this guy is a leader. Because obviously for people that do actions like that, you're not really thinking of that person as a leader. But as far as anything we've seen, at least from interviews or, you know, X or Twitter posts, like, it seems like he does have leadership qualities. He made a grave mistake, but that doesn't necessarily mean as far as in the locker room, buy-in, uh, going off for your team, that he necessarily lost that. But, you know, perspective-wise uh, from the fan and, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, obviously they're just staying there. But it's like I mentioned earlier, it seems they've, they're putting it in the past, and hopefully there's no situations like this moving forward because obviously – that does kind of become a deal breaker if you get a second chance and, you know, you aren't able to capitalize on that or learn your lesson. So, um, like I said, hopefully it's all in the past and, you know, we can start seeing uh, those leadership qualities come through again and hopefully you can just continue to mature as a person and as a basketball player and really help the Hornets continue to hopefully build this culture they're striving for as they move, you know, into the new owner's tenure and as LaMelo continues to, to season a little bit, and Brandon Miller is also continuing to grow into his own as well. All right. Well, yeah, I, I think you and I are pretty much in agreement uh, on the Miles Bridges situation there. Uh, I do want to move on to more of a just fun, all-around positive topic. Is that the Hornets again? 3-0 and since the new guys acquired at the deadline have joined the team. The Hornets technically three and one since the trade deadline, but the one loss coming uh, before the new guys could join the team. Obviously, PJ and Gordon weren't there, uh, so the Hornets had ten active players got smoked on the road in Milwaukee. Uh, but the three games where the new acquisitions from Dallas and OKC, uh, the, the three games where those guys have played, the Hornets have won. 
Again, they've looked great on defense. Uh, the ball movement has been spectacular. Team chemistry is inexplicably um, good. Eric, there's a lot of discussion about uh, the Hornets and the winning streak recently, some of which uh, is actually negative. You have some people on Twitter saying that the Hornets winning games is a bad thing because they're winning, quote, meaningless games, and they're going to tank their draft lottery winning percentage uh, by winning games that don't mean anything since they're not going to make the playoffs. I think you and I are both going to have very strong opinions on that kind of thought process. Uh, I know I definitely do. I'm going to open it up to you to start to give me get your thoughts. Are Is the Hornets, you know, them winning games, is that a bad thing, Eric? Um, Shocker, no, winning games isn't a bad thing. And, and here's why, right? So – it's been covered a lot. It started with the Terry Rozier quote when he went to Miami about the DNA in Charlotte being losing. Um, and, and you've heard a lot of talk about culture recently with the Hornets. Well, to change your culture, you got to start forming winning habits. And to this point, and, and this doesn't guarantee that the Hornets are going to be a really, really good team the rest of the year. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But at least at this point, we've already seen some sort of step as far as you know, playing with high IQ, um, you know, moving the ball, not playing selfishly. Um, and as far as the draft odds go, right now the Hornets are fourth in the draft odds. And the difference between fourth and like seventh or eighth, as far as like your chances of getting in the top four or the number one pick, they're really not that much different in that range. So like would I sacrifice – you know, a really good inning to the season and go from the fourth slot to the seventh or eighth slot. And it looks like our young players are growing together and it looks like we have some nice pieces long-term. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cause what's the flip side. We keep seeing what we saw early in the year where nothing was going right. And it seems like winning a game is almost impossible. And yeah, you may have a really good draft pick, but regardless of whatever 18, 19, 20 year old is coming in, if you don't establish that culture, it's not going to matter anyway. So, honestly, if the Hornets could win the, the rest of the games during the season, I would take it, even if they miss the playoffs and miss the play-in, because that means starting next year, they figured something out, and they're moving in the right direction. And that's ultimately, for people that follow the Hornets, for Hornets fans, that's ultimately what they want to see after so many years of failure and losing. They want to see an upward trajectory and things start moving in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, simply put, anyone who's saying that the Hornets winning games is a bad thing right now, I mean, that's loser talk. That is absolute loser talk is what that is. That is Loserville USA, brother. At some point, you have to – exactly. You've got to start building a culture. You've got to learn how to win. You've got to form winning habits. And like we said on the last episode, the Hornets aren't in, an, in the need – the Hornets aren't in a position to need a savior for the franchise in this draft. You have two players from a talent perspective that you could build the franchise around. And LaMelo Ball, I know we have questions about the intangibles. From a talent perspective, you could build the franchise around him. Brandon Miller, looks like he's got everything uh, that you want in a franchise player. So they don't need a savior-type talent to come in and save this team, right? Also, the difference in having like the fourth-best odds for the number one pick versus the sixth-best odds, look – couple things. One, there's no Victor Wimbyama in this year's draft, right? They're not exactly. losing out on potentially getting some generational alien superstar, right? Second of all, you know, let's say, just hypothetically, just to kind of throw out some of our numbers, let's say 
the Hornets continue to win some games. And instead of getting like the third overall pick, they end up landing the sixth overall pick. I would rather add the sixth overall pick to a team with some momentum who's starting mm-hmm. to build a winning culture and has some real things going on versus the third pick at a team that's completely fizzled out, has nothing going for them, no momentum, you know, no positive energy. I would much rather be in the former rather than the latter. Yeah, and I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. There's no Victor Wembanyama in this draft. There's not a Brandon Miller in this draft. You know, like Brandon Miller was a better prospect than any of these guys that are considered at the top of the board. If Brandon Miller was in this draft, he would be the number one overall pick. And this is before everything that he's done in the NBA. I'm just saying for him as a prospect coming out of Alabama, he would be number one. Now, when you look at the board, don't get me wrong. I would love to add, you know, a talented guys like, Sar or Cody Williams or Reese Shea to this Hornets group, they would be really nice pieces. But if you start looking down the board, there's some really, there's some guys there that still have that same type of upside, you know, in the next two, three years in the future that the guys at the top have. So while there's no, like you mentioned, generational women yammer or whatever, there is some kind of depth in that range. The sweet spot of this draft may be in that, you know, four to six, seven, eight range where you can kind of take your pick. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I mentioned, I do prefer like a Cody Williams, a Risa Shea, or even Sar. I do think they're better products. But we've seen it in the past. The best player in the draft could come from the sixth, seventh, eighth spot. So while, yes, you do have higher chances of getting a better player at the top, just because you pick six, seven, eight doesn't mean you don't get a really good piece. And like you just mentioned there, in theory, the Hornets already have their really main core building blocks in LaMelo Ball and Brandon Miller. You've also got some nice pieces around them with Mark Williams, Miles Bridges, a lot of the new guys that came in the trade. So they don't need a savior. They just need a good basketball player that's going to help them in ways that they can win and become a winning program. So as far as the you know tank for a better draft slot, I'm definitely not in on that. And here's the thing. The Hornets could finish with the worst record in the NBA in theory, and they could still pick fourth or fifth. So this whole tanking thing, this isn't the NFL. Like, you're not guaranteed picks. So you're better off to try to win ball games and continue to build that culture. Yeah, and they're still going to have a shot at getting a very high draft pick. They're still going to yeah. have a decent shot at getting the first overall pick. Mm-hmm. The Hornets recently have actually had decent luck in the lottery with the LaMelo draft and then last year getting the second pick with Brandon Miller. I know – Everyone got their hearts ripped out getting that close to the number one pick in the draft where Victor was going. But still, that I think they had, what, the fourth best odds and ended up with the second pick. So, I mean, not to say Yeah, that I mean, and bad. just think about it like this. If they get the third or fourth pick, now don't get me wrong, it was a loaded draft. There's really good players. But what do the Hornets look like right now with Scoot Henderson? What do they look like with Amen Thompson? Do they have the same promising trajectory that they have right now if they end up in those slots? No, because I think Brandon Miller has proven – that not only he's the best player, his archetype more fits into winning long-term than those guys do. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of those things. The Hornets did have really good luck last year as well. So, I mean, yes, Brandon Miller was kind of a consolation, but long-term it may turn out that, I mean, they still hit the jackpot big time. Absolutely. Yeah, and obviously you would prefer the first pick because then you can evaluate the entire class see who fits your organization the best, see who you think the best player is, even though it's kind of a crapshoot this year more than most, with there not being an obvious number one pick, and then go from there. 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, like everyone's kind of said at the same time, you know, the difference between picking third and, like, sixth or seventh in this year's draft doesn't seem to be massive from you know, what all the scouts are saying so far. Uh, another thing real quick, Eric, you know, out of all the new additions, though, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, you know, Batons hasn't had many, you know, incredible moments, but, you know, he, he's played well and contributed at times. I mean, hey, at the minimum, he's a four spacer, you know, as your night guy. That's good. Exactly. Much exactly. better than JT Thor in that role. <laughs> yeah, my guy, JT Thor. The agenda has never been lower, especially <laughs> after the uh, Nasus Antetokounmpo hit him with the sham gut. That, uh, I think that officially killed the JT Thor agenda there. But, um, yeah, out of the five new guys, man, I mean, who, is, who has kind of stood out to you the most? What has been your biggest takeaway from those guys? I have a sneaky – can I guess who you're going to say, actually? Sure. Trey Mann. I, I would imagine you would guess that, but that's actually not who I was going to say. And let me tell you why. I Now, let me preface this by saying I do love Trey, man. He's been awesome. I think anybody that's watched the Hornets game, and especially, you know, over the past couple months, had to watch Ish Smith and Teo Maladon. Like, Trey, man, is a godsend. He's been awesome. I think this is just one of those things where the Hornets did get multiple really good players that I'm excited about. But to me, the biggest difference is Grant Williams. And it's not necessarily about – his, you know, putting the ball in the bucket or whatever. It's his communication on defense. It's he's been in the finals with the Celtics. He's from Charlotte. He's really invested into building this culture. Like he only a weekend. He really seems like he's one of the guys maybe at the forefront outside of maybe Brandon Miller. That's really focused on, Hey, let's really turn this thing around. And that's the type of energy that the Hornets haven't really had with guys like Gordon Hayward or Terry Rozier or P.J. Washington. Yeah, they wanted to have things improve, and not all of it was their fault because the Hornets just weren't very deep at the time. But to me, with Grant Williams, it's an entirely different energy I'm getting from him. And if you're asking Grant Williams to be your sixth or seventh guy off the bench as the Hornets move into the future, I think that's a really good situation for the Hornets to find themselves in. Yeah, I was a little surprised that he wasn't starting um, when he first came out there. But, no, he's definitely thrived in that bench role. Um, and, yeah, he's another one of those culture builders that we keep talking about. I mean – Well, and let me add on just real quick to that. Um, Trey, man, like I mentioned, I love him. But the reason why I'm more excited for Grant kind of long term is when LaMelo comes back, Trey, man, is most likely going to the bench. Yes, he could start at the two guard, uh, but – what the Hornets have really needed is that backup one. And I'm sure Trey will get some run at the two, but is Trey man like this ultimate building block to becoming and rising to the top of the Eastern conference. I really like his game. I don't know if he is to me. I know Grant Williams can play a key role in a team that's really ascending and moving to the top of the Eastern conference. Cause he just does things that a lot of NBA players don't do. Interesting. I, I disagree I um, on the whole trade man going to the bench part specifically. I think sure. when LaMelo comes back, I think the starting lineup is going to look like this. I think it's LaMelo, Trey Mann, Brandon Miller, Miles Bridges, Nick Richards, obviously assuming Mark Williams isn't back by then. I don't think we're seeing Mark the rest of the year. I think that's what the starting lineup is going to look like. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, seeing Trey Mann be the one for the bench unit, and coming off the bench, you know, that would be interesting. But I, I definitely want to see him start alongside the mellow and see what that backcourt can look like for sure. But, well, go ahead. 
so I was just gonna say before we dive too much into Trey Man, because that that's kind of who I'll focus on with with uh, with my player out of the, the five new guys. I do want to add on to Grant as well. Um, I mean, yeah, he he can be the, one of those culture setters like we keep talking about. I mean, he just plays with so much effort. You know, similarly kind of to, to how Miles plays. You know, he's diving on the floor. He's creating second chance opportunities. Uh, you know, he's knocking down shots, doing a lot of the little things there. He, you know, with with him being the vice president of the Players Association, obviously, he's a very well respected voice. He's someone who has leadership qualities. Uh, I just I couldn't be more excited about the future of Grant Williams here in Charlotte. I mean, you see him after the games, after the wins, you kind of turn to the crowd, you know, trying to pump them up, get them into the game as, as they're about to win. It seems like it just kind of means more to him. Like obviously all the guys, you know, new guys and guys who have been around have been really energized by this win streak. But for some reason, it seems like it really just means a lot more to Grant Williams. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of that is, you know, him being from Charlotte, kind of having a rough go at it in Dallas and getting this kind of refreshing feel good story. Uh, for the back half of the season for him, but um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can just I can just tell it's kind of special to him, and um, you know that's been really fun to watch. But yeah, my my guy I wanted to focus on as we kind of wrap up here was Trey Mann. Um, you know, great. He's been Williams, awesome. He's been unreal. Grant Williams may make the biggest impact in his tenure with the Hornets, not just for what he does on the court, but you know his leadership and and impacting the culture, like we keep talking about. But yeah, man. I mean, Trey Mann's been incredible. I mean, buried on a yeah. loaded, talented OKC team. You know, not getting a ton of minutes. You know, a lot of us were speculating that he could be, you know, kind of a, a nugget hidden in that trade there. And man, he's been everything we can imagine and more. He's another one of these guys that plays with a ton of intensity. You know, rebounds the ball really well for his size. Creates some second chance opportunities. Uh, really good scorer, really good facilitator, and he's still trying to learn the playbook. He said it himself. I think it was after the Memphis game. He's still trying to learn the playbook. Again, just like a lot of these guys, this is, you know, in theory, this should be as bad as Trey Mann will be as a Hornet. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what I don't know what will. Yeah, I mean, he's been balling out. And let me say this, because obviously I picked Grant Williams in this exercise. The reason I picked Grant Williams is because I view him as like a superstar in his role. With Trey Mann, I think Trey Mann has higher upside, if that makes sense. Like he can score, he can play make, he can grab boards. So he can do things like that. With Grant, I just know what his role is on a winning team. So that's why I went with him. But Trey, I mean, he's been awesome. Like you mentioned, he he barely knows the playbook. He hasn't played in months. He's talking about, you know, kind of getting his legs back under him. And also listen to some of his interviews and post-game interviews. You can just tell he is very motivated right now. He sat on the bench for months in OKC, obviously a really good team, but you know he was just itching to get back out there. Now there's probably a part of him like that feels disrespected by OKC. He's like, oh, they didn't believe in me. Like It's, it's kind of just human, you know. And now he's coming here, and he it just seems like he's totally focused and locked in on taking advantage of this opportunity and really becoming the best player he can be. So I will say I do think his upside is higher than Grant Williams. But at this point in time, I just know what Grant Williams' role is going to be on what is hopefully a winning Hornets team in the future. Yeah, one comparison I just kind of thought of, and this isn't totally comparing the way these two players I'm about to mention play, although Grant kind of does some things similar to the player I'm going to compare him to. 
when we're talking about Grant Williams and Trey Mann and who's going to be like maybe more impactful in their tenure as a Charlotte Hornet, you could kind of maybe compare it to like Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, where you could argue, and a lot of people, you know, I listen to Colin Coward a lot, and he often argues that, you know, he thinks Draymond Green is the second most impactful uh, player on the Warriors for the Warriors dynasty, but Clay Thompson is the second best player. I think you could look at it as, you know, Trey Mann could be a better player, but Grant Williams, due to the intangibles, what he brings to the locker room, and then obviously what he does on the court as well, you know, uh, Grant Williams could be the more impactful player. Yeah, I mean, it just – what have we been talking about for, you know, half this episode is the Hornets need culture, uh, they need to learn how to win, and Grant – really has come onto this team, taken ownership of that. And he seems like the one in interviews and everything that's kind of spearheading that um, along with guys like Brandon uh, as well. But Grant's just been there. He's done that. I mean, he knows what it takes to win in this league. And now he gets to go home He um, and he gets to take ownership and hopefully, you know, bring some winning basketball to his hometown. Uh, but, I mean, we keep going back into Grant, and I'm kind of just rambling at this point. But – Trey, man, I'm super excited about. Um, for me, it's just long-term, could he be the two? Sure, but does that kind of put you in a Terry Rogier situation of an undersized combo guard next to LaMelo? That's not really the ideal perfect fit in a perfect world. Um, so he's, I'm sure he'll get backup point guard minutes as well. But it's just, you know, projecting out, how is this team really going to reach the mountaintop? And as much as I love Trey, man, I don't know if you really reached a mountaintop with him as your starting two. As your sixth man or like your backup point guard, I think it would be amazing. But as you're starting to, not so sure. Yeah, I think for now the Hornets should really try to make him the starting two. And then, you know, once, you know, a year or two down the line or whatever it may be where, you know, they're trying to seriously contend and make the playoffs and maybe make a run, you know, then, you know, maybe you look to move him to a bench roll or something. But for now, I, I don't see any reason why he can't be the starting two guard on this team. But – I mean, luckily, if anything, it gives the Hornets a lot of flexibility. It's a good problem to have. I know people usually say, you know, a good problem to have is when you have no problems. But I, I, I think this is a good problem to have if you're the Hornets. Um, you know, clearly there's a lot of flexibility and a lot of things you can do. Um, and, and, you know, he's really proven that he can be a really impactful player. But um, Well, and, you know, I mentioned earlier about the new owners and their financial background and buying low, selling high. And look, I'm not trying to ship Trey Man out right now. I, do, I don't want to have people mistake what I'm about to say for that. But it could be one of those things where he comes in, he starts putting up numbers on a consistent basis like we've seen through this first three games. You have him for a couple years, and, you know, in a couple years, maybe his value has skyrocketed. So you trade Gordon, get him in a first-round pick, you know, there is a scenario where he stays with the Hornets and he's here long-term and – Maybe he is a starting two or a primetime backup one. Or in the future, he could recruit more picks or more players. But, um, yeah, I mean, he obviously to this point, he's been a fantastic addition for the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not jumping on the trade, trade, man, trade. Just tra- trade, trade, man. Right, trade. right. Wow, that is a tongue twister. I'm not doing that just yet. And I know I know that's not what you're calling for, but uh, I'm, I'm going to enjoy him. We've had him for three games. I'm just going to enjoy him and uh, – you know, have have pleasant dreams about him uh, and the, the and being a part of the future of the Charlotte Hornets in the long term. But yeah, Eric, as you said, at this point we're we're probably starting to ramble a little bit. So 
you know, I, I think this is a good point to uh, to cut us off for today. This has been a lot of fun. The Hornets have been a lot of fun recently. Um, you know, they got the all-star break coming for, you know, we're recording today, Thursday, so I think they'll be playing a week from the date of us recording. So I actually cannot wait to watch the Hornets again. I, like, last night my girlfriend and I were at the game. We were talking. We were like, God, what are we going to do? We don't have the Hornets on for eight days. Like, how are we going <laughs> through this? It, it's a problem I did not think I would have. That, that's right, no doubt. Well, the good thing is uh, with the All-Star Weekend coming up, Brandon Miller will be participating. That is something I'm looking forward to is, you know, seeing him team up with Wimben Yama and hopefully he goes out there and balls out because, you know, it's kind of a bigger stage. Like, you know, when, for example, when Carl Anthony Towns dropped 60 and you got more eyeballs watching him and he kind of picks up steam on Twitter. And then when the Hornets play the Lakers and he drops 30 and it, it's his second 30-point game in a row more eyeballs and now really in the last couple of weeks you've really seen a pick up steam so if he goes to the rising stars game and he's one of the better players on the court um i mean that arrow it only starts pointing up more so i am excited to see brandon miller you know in that rising stars game yeah there's definitely going to be more national eyeballs on that and obviously you know rising stars game i don't know how hard they play you know just kind of like the all-star break they're obviously not going out and, and giving it the full intensity but you know, if he can do some flashy things, uh, you know, maybe get more national eyeballs to uh, to take notice of Brandon Miller and get him in some positive headlines, it's always a good opportunity to do so. So this year he's in the Rising Stars game. Next year I'm going to go ahead and predict that he is a full-blown all-star, and uh, <laughs> we'll be looking forward to that this time next year. I think there's a good chance. All right, Eric. Well, as always, this has been fun. It's been especially fun talking about some Hornets winning basketball. Uh, next time we talk to you, we'll be uh, hopefully recapping a uh, hopefully we'll be recapping a win over the Utah Jazz and a good start to a West Coast road trip. But until then, Eric, I'll talk to you next week. All right, man. We'll talk then.